0: Hey, gang. Mike Petchy here. You're listening to In Love with the Process. This is my podcast. Hi. How are you? So, uh, like I did on a previous episode, um, we're going through and catching up on a lot of these pre-recorded shows that we haven't been able to release yet. And uh, getting into FilmQuest was such an exciting experience, and doing all the Film Quest episodes was massive, but it put us behind on our release schedule. And some of these episodes are way behind. Today's episode, um, in specific, I recorded in July. So I wanted to come on here and just sort of give you a current intro that will then go into the pre-recorded intro of the show. And yes, we are returning to our Fujifilm Creator Series this week, uh, and it's a great episode. So get ready, strap yourselves in. Um, But before we get into it, let me just do a quick catch-up with you. Hi, how are you? What's new? What have you been up to? How was Thanksgiving? Did you guys enjoy the leftover episode? Was I too mean on that show? <laughs> I might have been. But you know what? You know, I got triggered. I was triggered on that episode. Um, Thanksgiving for us was great. Uh, we I cooked for two days. Uh, so here's what the menu was. Turkey cooked two ways. So I braised the turkey legs. I did the breasts um, in the oven. But I also, you know, brined. The breast so dry brine is the way to go by the way right so dry brined and then stuffed urban butter underneath the skin so the breast was amazing um and then all the drippings were amazing um and then i also took to, i took off the uh back plate on the bird and uh grabbed an extra back plate which they were selling pretty cheap i got it for like three bucks uh and made an epic turkey stock that was then strained and made into a Italian Brodo soup, which is essentially just uh, a real clean broth, very flavorful broth with uh, tornellinis in it, which was a great thing. And then you throw a little like Parmesan and whatnot. That was our app. Um, And then uh, what else did we do? Oh, I smoked a ham. So I had a pre-cooked ham that I threw on the smoker and glazed it with a honey mustard glaze that was so fucking good that I just put it on the table um and uh let's see what else did we did we did green beans i did sausage stuffing cornbread sausage stuffing uh garlic mashed potatoes and then our guests brought um sweet potato pie we had macaroni and cheese we had an epic uh kale salad which was you know even though it sounds healthy it was not uh and then uh what else do we fucking have I feel like we had something else and I'm forgetting it, but it was great. It was fun. Two days of cooking, uh, multiple days of eating leftovers. Oh, you know, uh, it's always a sin when you can't finish all the turkey in time. Um, but I loved it, man. How was your Thanksgiving? Did you guys have fun? Did you go hang out with friends? Did you hang out with family? Um, it's, it's always a stressful time of year, right? Because as you're hanging out with these folks, uh, especially after the multiple years that we've had of stress and chaos, you're sort of processing everybody's traumas as you are coming together and how certain people interact with other people. There's a lot of, uh, you know, social awkwardness that has developed over the past few years and trying to make your way through that. Uh, what we try to do is we try to be a beacon of light and just say, Hey, look, we know it's stressful. We know everything's intense, but have a great meal, hang out, chill the fuck out, you know, be cool, be cool. Um, so it was fun. It was good. Uh, excited about it, exhausted by it. Um, but, uh, the other thing I wanted to catch up on is I I started to talk about it. I I said that I was going to go, I got the invite to go see, um, the new movie. I got to go see Napoleon. So I got an invite directly from, uh, really Scott's company and from the folks over there. Um, and it was fucking great, man. We went and saw it at the director's guild. Uh clubhouse, if you want to call it that. DGA. And uh their screening room is amazing. Sorry, I gotta hang up this phone here. It's kind of lame that I didn't look at this guy. Mute, motherfucker. Um, so we saw it in the screening room there, and it's their screening room is so goddamn good. It should be. It's the director's guild. But the sound in there is epic, and the movie is fantastic. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It is it is like the coolest version of a ridley scott epic film uh there's so much stuff in there that is awe-inspiring to watch just the scale and the scope of his battles and his and all the horse stuff like the horse stunts that happen in it if you've seen the movie you know what i'm talking about crazy shit with the horses um and it was fun man it was a cool thing to watch it was very wild being like one of i don't know 50 people or something that were there uh and you know the other cool thing as i said on the other episode was that they had a reception so we got to go to the reception and uh i got to hang out with a lot of the producers that i work with over there super cool people i got to meet some folks that knew who i was that i didn't know who they were at first glance and it turns out that i got to meet assistants and people that i had emails with here's a big thing in hollywood remember this anytime that you're doing pitches or or you're uh, trying to get a movie made, the people to make friends with are the assistants of all the executives and producers that you talk with. The assistants run Hollywood. They really fucking do, man. So if you're friendly with your assistants, they will get your stuff to their producers faster. Be cool with them. I mean, it's a good insider trick. Uh, So yeah, we got to hang out with those folks. And uh, I met up uh, with one of our old guests on the show. Um, Zach Merck was there, another director, awesome director, really cool dude. We haven't seen each other in uh, at least a year or two years, and it's always fun, like, you know, because he's also doing stuff over there at Scott Free, so it was cool to be in that space with these other directors. We were rubbing elbows with, uh what's his name, Alvarez, the guy who directed uh, not the most recent Evil Dead, but he did the original Evil Dead remake, which I liked. And he's also this is out i'm not ruining anything he's also directing the new alien movie so we were in the room with them i was trying to get over to say hi and to have a conversation but i don't know if you guys have i'm sure you've witnessed this right you go to some like events and marketing events and um sometimes there's this awkwardness that comes about folks that sort of come with their own clusters and they they find safety in their clusters and it takes a lot of balls it takes a lot of uh uh, courage to sort of break into that cluster and you know start a conversation right which is tough and so as you sort of i was looking across the room going like oh yeah i want to fucking talk to that guy and i I don't know why it's probably the podcaster i mean because i'd go over there and go you should come on the fucking show dude you know um but i couldn't find my in it was weird i couldn't find my in It, it was they seemed to too close knit. I think he was talking to a couple producers or something. They were all sort of mixed in there. And you know, you're running through all the scenarios in your head, right? You going to run over and go, like, hey, I'm Mike, what's up? I just want to say I'm a big fan of your work, right? And what do the other two guys do that, you know, are there? They're just like, Yeah, here comes a fanboy. You <laughs> know what I mean? You want like what I wanted, what I should have done is gone over to one of the producers that I know and say, Hey, go introduce me. That would have been cooler. That's what I should have done. Should have done it that way. But it was fun, dude. It was crazy. It was one of those like Hollywood experiences. Um, and uh got to be in the room with these folks and a lot of the team and the crew behind the movie. Um, and it's an epic film. So if you haven't seen it yet, if, if you're a fan of Ridley Scott, if you're a fan of filmmaking, um, it's definitely a, a great movie to see. Um, and Joaquin does a fucking killer job in it. And there are sequences like... Not giving anything away, but there's a falling down the stairs bit that happens, which is like, how the fuck did you pull that off? Was that an accident? Was that real? Lots of really fun stuff in there to see, and it's I'm I'm just excited. It's a good year for the masters of cinema, these folks that are coming back and they're making movies. And Scorsese, you've got Ridley Scott, you've got Michael Mann, you've got David Fincher, you've got the the people that have inspired an entire generation of filmmakers releasing new content right now. Uh, so it's a great year for cinema. But anyway, I'm not going to rant and rave because we're going to leave you. uh, We'll do a little music interlude here, and then uh, we'll start up the episode as recorded back in July. Um, So thanks for being patient, everybody, with our release schedule. Uh, Thank you, Fujifilm, for being patient with us and for being there for us. And hey, big shout out to everybody who has been commenting on My posts and on Fujifilm's posts, and letting them know that you really appreciate the fact that Fujifilm is a sponsor of the show, and that they support us, and that goes a long way. I've had the folks over there like noticing that you are doing so. So, if you love these episodes, just comment under any of my posts this week and tag Fujifilm. You'll see all the links in the description of today's episode, but tag Fujifilm and say, "Hey, thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for supporting Mike." All right, let's get to it. listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in. Have a seat. Welcome to the latest episode of the Fujifilm Creator Series that we do here, sponsored by Fujifilm. Um, And uh, I'm excited about today's episode because what we've been doing lately is uh, we've been lucky enough to get the pair of a director and a cinematographer on at the same time. And I find this to be uh, a fascinating conversation because more often than not, we tackle uh, how the duties are split. We tackle uh, how these creatives meet. Uh, we tackle, um, you know, how they inspire each other. There are all sorts of the questions that many of you have if you're trying to get into this business as a director or you're trying to get into this business as a cinematographer and you're turning to, like, you know, American cinematographer, right? Those places never really give you the answers that you're looking for. Like, okay, great. You use that piece of gear and it was so cool that you had, you know, know, a five-ton truck with a a 12-person crew to set up that fucking really great light gag. But what is it like? How did you guys meet each other? How long have you been working together? Uh, all those questions. Those are, the, those are the important ones. Those are the useful answers that we need as creatives trying to make our way through this business. And uh, the theme of today's show is just celebration. It's the celebration of the collaborative art that is filmmaking. The celebration, how, how good it feels to be able to partner up and team up with so many different people from so many different backgrounds and upbringings and have them all bring their life experiences to a single idea, to uh, a single inspiration. Um, So a lot of really great stuff going on. And I just, I want to really celebrate this stuff. Um, And I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, but I'm recording this episode in July and it's still during the writer strike and it's still during it's like a week or so after see, sort of seeing that devastating post uh, that was put out there by the studios and the streamers or put out by someone that was talking about them uh, I think I saw it on Deadline where literally the companies their plan was to let the writers run out of rent money before they picked up negotiations before they went back to the negotiations to give themselves the upper hand it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. So uh, I'm excited to have two creatives here on the show. They are in the process right now of editing this movie. I haven't seen this film yet, uh, but Fujifilm sent me over uh, their pitch deck. They said that it's very exciting. The footage that shot is very exciting. Uh, it's a short film called Chispa, and it's a short thriller it's, a, it's written here on the dock as a short thriller dance film by Karina. So I'm very excited to have the director on the show. Uh, Karina Lomine Ripper is here, and we're also joined by her cinematographer Sarah Weldon is here as well. The two of them talk about the challenges of shooting a short film. Uh, I think they said I think they said it was like a three-day shoot shooting a short film in a mall without control over everything. Uh, I think the mall was open while they were shooting, which is crazy. Um, then there are all sorts of different challenges, right? Sort of navigating where you could shoot, at what time, what places you can shoot in at what time. Fascinating stuff. And then also uh, how you're lighting in a situation where it's supposed to be taking place at night and you're shooting often in the daytime and you can't have control over certain elements, lights in the building, windows, you can't black windows out because it is a ball, it is larger. Um, So the the tricks and techniques that Sarah uses to get this film's look. And the film has been shot in black and white, which uh, I think is going to be gorgeous. Uh, And they talk about the reasons for choosing that format. And uh, there's all sorts of really fun stuff here, man. We talk about creature effects and designing creature effects. Uh, We talk uh just about collaboration this is a really good episode for that stuff so if you're someone that is uh thinking about making a short film if you're someone that has always wanted to do something like this you're gonna find a lot of inspiration on today's episode and like i said thanks to Fujifilm for doing so for setting this up for sponsoring our show uh and for also supporting the filmmakers on this project man like they're a big po- they're a big reason why this project's happened Right, and they they support with gear. Oftentimes, they support with finances for this sort of thing, and that's what makes them a special company. So, let's. Uh, well, I don't want to do any catch up. Like, let me see what's going on with me right now. Um, what's going on? Just been doing a bunch of podcast stuff. Oh yes, like I said, this was being filmed. This is being recorded in July, and I think we're recording this earlier than it's supposed to be put out. But this is the week that 12km went viral again. So five times viral, which is insane. I uh, I have, you know, it's wild because you guys know, you've listened to the show. The idea was that I put it out there. If you want to see 12 cam, it's not public. You got to send me your three favorite horror movies. And if I agree with you, I will send you a link. It is virtually impossible for me to get to everybody's stuff because it's wild. Right. While we're talking here, I'll look, I'll explain it to you right now on Instagram. If I go there. And look at what's happening and how frequent the messages are coming in right now all right let's reload it okay one jesus christ it actually increased one two three four five messages per minute do the math on that so i i would have to be plugged into this thing 24 hours a day responding to five messages per minute to be able to get everybody at at, at like a timely matter. So if you have sent me a message with your three favorite films and it's been months since you've heard from me, it most likely has nothing to do with your choices. Here's the thing. If I don't like your choices or if I think you're not playing along the right way, um, you'll get a message from me. And it's usually me responding, saying like, hey, actually, it's great that you sent me a bunch of dramas, but I asked for three horror movies giving you the opportunity to respond back. Or if someone's like, give me your movie, I usually write back and go, no. So you'll know if, if you know, there's something wrong there. If you haven't heard from me, chances are I just haven't got to your stuff yet. Give a boy a break. You know what I mean? I know it's my fault. I know I'm the one that did this, but come on. Uh, so anyway, that's what's going on with me. And as soon as I finish recording this, I'm going to be putting myself in a chair and uh, trying to respond to as many as I can today. So let's get to it. Without further ado, strap yourselves in. Karina and Sarah are going to join us and uh, get ready for some fun stories and some laughs and some love uh, of the art of visual storytelling on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Sarah, thanks for being on the show. How are you two?
1: Great, yeah, pretty good. Uh, excited to do my first podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm excited that I'm that I'm your first podcast, Sarah. Have you been on a podcast before? Uh, I think this might be my third. <laughs> oh well, hopefully this will be your favorite by the time we're done.
2: <laughs> I mean, I think so because I get to do it with a with an old friend and a new friend, so that's kind of fun.
0: <laughs> well, I'm very excited. I was I was uh, really happy when uh, Fujifilm sent you to my way, and um, obviously I haven't seen the piece yet. I've just seen the materials and uh, the pitch kit, and I'm I, I'm very curious. So I'm very curious (laughs) as to what it is that uh, you two have been putting together. Uh, Because it seems to have all the ingredients that I like. I'm a big fan of uh, choreography and blocking in film. Mm -hmm. And then I'm a big sci-fi sort of horror nerd. And it seems like uh, you two are combining all that stuff. Am I right? Yeah, for sure. Um,
1: Yeah, I I feel like um, it's. It's got horror elements. It's got thriller. It's it got a creature in it. Super cool. Um, yeah, and uh, there's a dance uh, choreography in the film as well. Um, it's just like all sorts of, basically like everything that was my like favorite fun thing I <laughs> wanted in this film, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, yeah. I feel like I, I checked out. Um, who's there, the trailer and then 12 kilometers. And I know uh, the other thing that like kind of really struck me with your work was like all the sound.
0: Oh yeah. I'm Um, a big big sound nerd.
1: Yeah. Um, It's just really strong. And I feel like I'm just getting into that aspect and it's just so fun
0: yeah well, if you got any questions, <laughs> i can I can give you a footstool if you need one. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sound to me, I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but when I started my career, I shared studio space with uh, a sound team. So mm. I was a director cinematographer, and then when I wasn't working, which was most of the time when I was younger, um, I would just hang out with those guys and uh, either help them record uh, sound on set or help them do sound effects in uh, post on it. And uh, I am so in love with it. I, I my my real dark joke is that if I went blind, I'd be a sound mixer um, <laughs> because it's such a fun fucking world, and it really is more than fifty percent of making a movie is sound stuff. Mm-hmm. So. And, uh, and Sarah, you being a cinematographer, are you shifting uncomfortably when I say
2: that? <laughs> you know, Mike, uh, I, I don't tell many people this, but I'm about to tell everybody. I'm about to make this knowledge public. My first job in the industry, um, in addition to editing, was uh, actually as a location sound. Oh, nice. And then uh, I was uh, sort of developing on the side, um, in a professional capacity, uh, sound design and sound mixing. Um, and while I never really enjoyed doing it, (laughs) I really, uh, I feel like it was a weird thing that made me a much better cinematographer because I have sort of an understanding of, and an appreciation of what, uh, that world is, how it works, um, and of course, how vital it is to everything because um, I mean, truthfully, I think there's a lot more leeway for me to screw up yes. than uh, yes. sound.
0: Yes, I completely <laughs> I completely agree with you. and it's it comes for I, I think it's really good to hear that you also started in post-production and editing because I'm sure all of that informs how you're shooting things and like what you're making priorities on set. Because I I feel like in the early days, because I've been at this since like 1999. So back then I would work with crusty old, you know, 35 millimeter uh, cinematographers who were all like, the the specular highlights need to be perfect. And I'm like, (laughs) dude, you're killing my coverage for this scene. (laughs) so. Do you find that uh, having spent time as an editor has really sort of made you a better cinematographer as well?
2: Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, I think that's absolutely. You know, I think you make a really good point, and I think it's a point that I hear, but probably not often enough. Is how important it is to understand uh, editing as a DP, um, and it. You know, I think it depends to some extent on sort of the director you're working with because every director is a little bit different and how you know what how they're approaching a project is a little bit different freena is extremely sort of visual and has a really strong understanding of like what she's looking for um and other directors are a little more like kind of loose with things um but in all those cases i think just like you know uh i'm always a sounding board for the director so it's always important for me to understand that so that if i'm seeing a potential hole I like, can at least ask the ask the right questions and then we can have the discussion to know like, great, okay, we're going to have what we need uh, kind of going into this thing, next mm-hmm. thing. So, well, yeah.
0: You bring up an interesting point. So uh, Karina, you, you, do you consider yourself a visual director? Or are, are visuals the first thing that you're thinking about when you're putting together a piece? Like, what's your process with that?
1: That's so interesting. Uh, I... I guess, um, I don't know. I guess I, I mean, I, sure. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, when I'm writing, I feel like I, I I'm one of those strange birds that likes to write with music Mm -hmm. playing. Um, so I'm actually like, it's I'm coming at it from maybe more of a like feeling space of music and, um, that sort of energy at the script place. Um, and I th- but I think that like maybe sometimes music also helps me kind of see what's, what I'm going to see in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really helpful for that part H- having, I've never, I've never really like been a DP like, or had mm-hmm. experienced shooting a whole lot of stuff. So I think just doing my homework for this project, I did you know, a lot of work just, like, looking at references and, like, really trying to figure out, like, what the visual language of the film was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think once I met with Sarah, it was just, like, we just really... It was, like, this instant mind meld on, like, the, the style and aesthetic and, like, the language that we were going to set for the film. And um, we did this thing, which I've I've never fully done on other films, but I think because... We we the film itself takes place at uh, a mall located here in Portland, Oregon. It's called the Lloyd Center, and mm-hmm. because we had access to that space prior to filming, like we could just go there because it's a mall and it's open. That's how we awesome. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were able to like pre-visualize a lot of the film and kind of like really just get you know, be like, okay, like, this is the area we're shooting in. Like, we kind of talked about a shot, but then like, you know, Sarah would take one of the Fujifilm cameras and really kind of like just get a little clip or like an image for us to be like, okay, you know, this is going to be that that angle or that shot. And it just was a really fluid collaboration um, throughout the prep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in this way, that was, like, super fun. <laughs> so,
0: well, it relieves me to hear you even use the term visual language, <laughs> because I think so many people just forget about that. Um, what was the – so as you were setting up the language for this narrative, for the story, what were the foundations of of this language for you? Was it – I mean, the, the film is shot in black and white. Was that where you started, or were you – uh, specific about, um, you know, uh, wide shots and close ups? Or were you trying to uh, figure out a way to translate uh, emotion or energy in shots and, and, and designing your language around that? Like, how did it start for you?
1: Yeah. So I, I think um, the black and white, I've always seen this film in black and white. I think there was like, there's this part of me that there was something like kind of classic horror that I was, like, really interested in. I think I was, like, interested in, like, the graphicness that Black and White could Mm -hmm. offer the creature um, character itself. Um, But also it was, like, there was, like, some of these, like, more, like, maybe practical aspects. Um, The fact that, like, you know, the Lloyd Mall is, like, this really amazing space, but it's also, like, kind of a hodgepodge of design and architecture. And so the black and white really like unifies that um, and, and creates this like cohesive aesthetic inside of that space. The other aspect is that like, you know, having worked in black and white, before like black and white also has a lot of leeway for vfx Mm -hmm. um and so there's like also a visual effects element to this film with regards to the creature and the electricity and so knowing that i was like oh we're gonna you know there's gonna be a lot more give with us doing vfx in black and white versus in a color space Mm -hmm. um and and i liked i was excited by just the aspect of like you know, electricity and black and white, this like kind of like glowing sort of like crispy thing. that mm, um, I hadn't really fully seen in a lot of movies before. So that was kind of where I was coming at from it. And as far as like the way that the language developed with the film, I guess, I feel like I, I'm curious what Sarah experienced it because I'm not sure that I like totally tracked. but <laughs> <laughs>
0: What do you think, Sarah?
2: Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, I think um, it was really interesting, Karina, just hearing you talk about how, uh, just kind of like going back, how you sort of approached this, uh, you know, how you approach projects typically uh, from a musical and emotional space, um, you know, because I think uh, once upon a time, uh, being a musician was sort of at the forefront of my mind, and being a filmmaker was somewhere behind that in priority. Hmm. And that is drastically flipped, and I, I don't really practice music outside of a karaoke bar here and there. <laughs> what did you, um,
0: what sort of music, what were you trying to get into? Was it singing, was it playing instruments, or...?
2: I mean, mostly vocal stuff, um, you know, some instrumentation, a little bit of guitar, a lot of, like, music production, which is, yes. I think, why I was able to pretend to be a sound mixer for a year, <laughs> um, because I had, you know, I kind of, like, knew the Pro Tools interface and sort of how that worked. Um, but, I, you know, I think music still, like, uh, speaks to me in a way that is just different from any other art form and um but i you know i think for me specifically like uh when i listen to music it uh is a sort of visual experience and um so it's interesting to kind of like hear karina sort of approaching this from that same place um but as far as like how she translated her Thoughts around that. I mean, it felt very clear to me the whole time, sort of what uh she was going for. I mean, we spent quite a long time on pre-production for this piece. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we shot in June, and I think we started pre-production in January. Um, wow. and there were breaks in there. Um, I know at one point I Shot a feature in the middle of that somehow. But, um, <laughs> you know, there was definitely like weeks and weeks of pre pro in the early part of the year leading up to our sort of like big pre visualization. And then um, again, leading up to the shoot, there was, it was sort of all hands on deck to get everything together um, because it really was, um, you know, this wasn't a find it in the moment sort of film. Um, yeah. I and mean, there's always finding moments. But, um, I think the bulk of it, you know, we had to have a pretty good sense of what we were doing because the space had a lot of limitations. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was so much, uh, so many like visual effects that we had to consider going in to make sure, um, we were covering everything. Um, and then of course there is the storyline and, you know, making sure Karina had time with the actors, uh, to do that work. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing felt so visual from start to finish. And I, I don't mean to say Karina is a visual director in that she's not anything else, but just that she's, I think, maybe stronger in that space than maybe she even realizes. <laughs> um, but also, like, within that, um, <clears throat> you know, her working with the actors, you know, again, these are conversations I'm not a part of, but I see the results of uh, from take to take and um just seeing how she could kind of like find different moments or find different performances and they were both incredible um but it was uh just kind of seeing the way she was able to manage so many different uh roles uh on this piece i mean there was like the creature design of which you know, that's a that's a huge undertaking. It's a huge uh, It's I've also a very it, yes. visual yeah. undertaking. Yeah. And it's like there's there's a movement element. Um there was this big dance element to this uh film that you know uh Karina spent so long, you know, working with this uh mutual friend of ours who uh you know was the lead in the film on sort of developing that language so um i mean she she can really do it all but um as a as a dp it was like uh it was really fun just kind of like you know because karina and i'd worked together but not uh under this relationship um i hadn't worked with karina yet as a director so it was really wonderful um kind of just like seeing how immediately our brains sort of merged and hmm. uh, how easily it was for us to just collaborate and, and build
0: this. Well, how'd you two meet? What was, where'd you two meet?
1: We uh, we met, Sarah and I met um, on this, I, I we have a mutual friend who was directing this short film called Hey Man. And... Uh, he had actually, he did sound on Chispa, but had done sound on another short documentary that um, I had done. And so in exchange, I was uh, assistant directing on his film Mm. and um, that's, and Sarah was the DP on that. So that's how we all connected. And um, I think just that experience was, you know, I was um, focused on schedule and more of like the logistical aspects of it, but Every time I would like see the frame or what we were capturing, it was just so beautiful. But also, there was this like the whole process. It was like a pretty swift production, and I still felt like every time I like would see the shot, it just like looked so freaking good. <laughs> um, I was like, "Damn, uh, Sarah is really talented." And so after that, I you know saw more of her work. Um, but yeah, I think there was that aspect. And then also she was just such a delight to work with, um, mm-hmm. on that, in that process, uh, really just super positive. Um, and I just like saw how well Kai and Sarah were collaborating together. So it just, I don't know, I think there was a part of me that was like, I want this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> super cool. Yeah. Cause it's always fascinating to, to, uh, hear, how uh, a cinematographer and a director sort of make a connection, and it's interesting that uh, you guys made a connection on someone else's set. That makes a lot of sense, um, you know. And is that do you, have you did you do a lot of assistant directing? Is that where you come from before directing, or were you just doing that for a friend?
1: No, yeah, I mean, I I don't I. I very much do a lot more producing yeah. um, and assistant directing is something that yeah I I just would do here and there you know I think as a producer on low budget projects you kind of sometimes end up being producer AD (laughs) Um,
0: okay we're back after a break Uh, Zencaster booted me you know (laughs) if you're listening Zencaster get your shit together man that's you know makes me look bad in front of my guests thank you (laughs) (laughs) um all right well so let's talk about the movie a bit here because uh, like i said i haven't seen it the audience has no idea what we're talking about because i'm sure they haven't seen it yet either um so it's make sure i'm pronouncing this right is it chispa is that how you pronounce it
1: yeah that's exactly that's totally right perfect
0: so where does the title come from and where does the movie come from for you
1: yeah so chispa it means spark um it's Chispa's uh it's like a like a little glint like mm. you know that little like spark that like kind of comes off like the rock when you hit two rocks together um but that's what it means in spanish oh cool and um i think uh you know f- for me the film um just like emerged from this place of you know i was wanting to write something that was fun that was like had all my favorite things in it. Um, I think I was also just like, you know, reflecting at the time, um, there was like a lot of aspects of like women's rights being taken away and LGBTQ rights being taken away. And I think there was Mm -hmm. like a part of me that was just like, you know, think like that, that was kind of percolating, but also just this like feeling of working in the industry, working in the film industry and, Um, you know a a large part of the industry is dominated by men and just constantly feeling like either belittled or underestimated Mm. and so i kind of like those were kind of some of the themes i was thinking about and you know i knew that the mall was this like really it's been this really amazing artist kind of like space that it's transformed into. And so I was like thinking about the mall as a location and I just started to be like, okay, well, like who could work in a mall? Like what, who could the characters be? Mm -hmm. And that's where this like Latina electrician emerged. And so her name is Luz Garcia. And, you know, she comes in to repair this breaker box um, and she meets this uh, grumbly (laughs) security (laughs) guard that's, you know, just very tired of uh, the work that he's been doing and is a little perplexed that there's a woman here to do this job. Um, and so it's kind of about these two characters and it, the film kind of like, you know, starts there, but then it like turns into this sort of different thing because loose experiences this like peculiar shock of electricity um, that knocks her completely unconscious Mm. um and when she awakes there's like all of a sudden this energy inside of her that causes her to dance and (laughs) to me the the dance is this um metaphor for transformation it's like it's it's expressing all of these things i think um i i feel as a woman whether that be like you know i've I like there's like something sometimes I feel like particularly as a Mexican American woman that there's this like I have all of these feelings inside that I have to just contain Mm. and the dance is like her kind of like letting that stuff out and being like powerful and strong but also like sexual and beautiful and maybe even a little creepy Mm -hmm. and so to me that was like kind of like the backbone of the the choreography, and I worked with uh, Muffy Delgado Connolly. She was this amazing choreographer who um, had actually reached out to me and was partially like, even when I was like writing this, I like knew I was like, Muffy's gonna be the dancer. Like, this is like, you know, had that person already in mind mm. as I was developing the script. Um, so, yeah, and so her and I just, we worked together to develop that routine. And then I knew that like, I wanted a twist. I, I love films that subvert expectations Mm -hmm. and so i liked this idea that like you know when the security guard sees her on the security monitors dancing frolicking around the mall he's like when he comes to try to find her he doesn't find her he finds this creature Mm. um and that's chispa um chispa is this Big hulking, furry, hunchbacked, lengthly-armed creature with glowing eyes and anglerfish teeth, and <laughs> sounds like an orca whale mixed with a koala bear, <laughs> um, is like, you know, is this like creature that like doesn't necessarily like want to harm the security guard but like it's like a dog or a cat where it like when it sees the security guard run it's going to chase after it sure sure um, sure. and yeah. so like chispa's intentions are you know more i think like passive but uh you know it's also this hulking creature that has these giant teeth so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, where, where did the uh, where did the creature uh idea come from did it take a lot of time for you to develop that or did you have this uh, like at least some of the specifics of the creature in mind prior to writing the script
1: yeah i mean i think uh the creature i feel like there was this um there's this like cost, this really incredible costume designer in town who actually was like had this creature. Her name's Katotic, and she had this like yeti creature for this like other music video. And so like initially, like I had like kind of consulted with her on the design for Chispa, mm-hmm. um, kind of like u- utilizing that as a jumping off point. Uh, but then ended up working with um, Mark Ripper, my partner, and then also. Um, Julia Calabrese to really develop the creature. We also had like a creature illustrator who came in and nice. mocked up some sketches for us, um, but was really drawing a lot of inspiration from there's this creature in it's this, it's this Mexican salamander called an oxalotl.
0: Hmm.
1: Um So like that, that shape of the head and then that oxalotl like there's actually like an Aztec God that's also has a similar name, but is like the God of like lightning and fire and, Um, and so like, those were all like ideas that were like, kind of like percolating and then thinking about like the idea of electricity and like what creatures have like are electric, but like also have like really interesting fangs and teeth and the anglerfish is, Mm -hmm. you know, has that like light that it emanates, um, in the darkness. And so those were kind of the things like I was pulling from just to like inspire the, the creature itself and then i think um mark was really into like this idea of like the hunchback (laughs) to like hide the the human form because there's Mm -hmm. a person in it this was all practical Mm -hmm. um for the creature costume and so he you know built out this whole like shoulder head piece and then arm extensions utilizing like crutches uh to like like really hide the human form within, within the costume. Um, This is the first time I had ever done anything like this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, you know, like I, I feel like there was like a brief where there was like a brief break that I took from filmmaking. And during that break, I got into furniture upholstery and I feel like having that break really liked like grounded me and like working with my hands and like understanding construction.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, so when the cost, when the creature became a thing, you know, Julia really took on like the sculpting of the head and the mask and Mark and I focused on the bodysuit And like, so I was like sewing, You know, fur for like this, like basically fur jumpsuit. (laughs) Just think of it as like a sofa. You know, (laughs) but it's
0: it's it's super cool that you were able to you know go back and work with your hands because I'm I'm sure you had a greater appreciation and understanding of texture and movement of tech of of fabrics and the idea of how that stuff you know looks on uh, in light certain lighting situations. I, I mean, all that stuff is incredibly important when you're putting together the elements for a practical creature, right? And especially mm-hmm. uh, the way it looks on, on film, Sarah. So like how much input did you have in it as a cinematographer? Or were you just processing the the creature that they presented you on set?
2: Um, how much, I don't know how much input I had. I mean, we had a lot of conversations around it. Um, I know Karina, and I talked pretty early on, I think before any creature uh, development had been like moving forward around what sorts of um, considerations, you know, I might have, I know Mark and I talked a lot about um, the eyes and what, you know, we might need out of the eyes Mm -hmm. um, because the eyes are glowing. And um, so we talked a fair amount but really i mean you know i can't take really any credit for anything that happened with the creature it was like um you know uh, as i said you know karina is a, a very uh, visually minded person among other many other uh, traits but also uh, mark likewise uh, you know is uh, so many things, um, including <laughs> a cinematographer, and you know has a really strong understanding as well of like how things are going to translate. So yeah. um, you know, I was following along with the process and occasionally lending a thought here and there, but um, and you know thinking a lot about you know how they're developing it and how it's going to render. Um, you know, I wasn't you know, I wasn't coming by and checking in on the progress partly because I'm in LA and, uh, Mm -hmm, Karina's mm -hmm. in Portland. So, um, you know, they were sharing things as they were coming up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we did a creature test a few days before we started filming. Um, Mm -hmm. when I was down in Portland, um, I think I had like just gotten my hands on the camera and I just remember that very first test um, they were practicing one of the movements and Karina said, Sarah, come over and just like stand and kind of like watch this. I want you to see what it looks like when Chispa moves. And I was like, okay, great. So I'm standing there and Chispa starts pretty far away. And, um, and, and Karina is kind of directing by voice because um it was very difficult to see outside of the, the <laughs> Chispa costume, especially when the lights were on, because it was just so bright. Um, so is directing by voice and trying to, like, uh, build this choreography. And, you know, uh, Chispa lands, like, two feet away from me, facing me with these big teeth. And I had this weird moment of, like, I, you know, I know this is... Uh, you know a human inside of a creature costume uh, that i've been like watching the development of but i also had this weird moment of feeling very much the way the security guard feels when he first <laughs> turns around and sees this creature
3: because it was so
2: like it was just so real um and it was so terrifying but also cute um it's very difficult to like describe what was going through my brain but it was like <laughs> this moment of i should probably run <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's great i mean if you're feeling that then that then the audience will feel that so i think that's exactly important. that's important
2: and i think this is where like you know I, I, you just it's hard to beat uh doing things practically um, yeah. as much as possible yeah. um and certainly like lifting them with with posts, but there is something to, um, to me, like, uh, seeing how like that affected me, I can only imagine like how it affects the actor on set to be staring face to face with the actual creature that, um, he's responding to.
0: I completely agree. And as a director, I love doing practical stuff. Most of my stuff is practical and, uh, there's a, a specific shot that we did, that I reference all the time, that I did in Who's There, where this, this woman essentially gets pulled under a sink in the bathroom. Spoiler alert. Um, and uh, we did it practically. and It was very simply done where we built a false cabinet and had it almost puppeteered with strings. So we had the door puppeteered, and then we had just, it was the most lo-fi thing. It was a dummy head with a wig on it. And the head got pulled in by one string as the door got pulled shut with the other string. And I remember I was sitting on set with one of my oldest friends, uh, my buddy Jarvis, who was pulling focus and he, wasn't prepared. He didn't know what was happening in the shot. <laughs> and so he's sitting next to me and as as the shot happens, he just yells like, Oh my god! And it just ruins <laughs> ruins the audio, ruins the take. <laughs> and I started laughing. But I laugh and I go, Yes. <laughs> it works. If I if I scared you, buddy, it works. <laughs>
2: That's
0: so great. I love that. Uh, but practical, you know, besides being a great uh, stimulus for your talent. Uh, it's just a lot of fucking fun, man. And when you are on yeah. set and you can have that experience, you can see that creature moving around. Don't you feel that way, uh, Karina? When you when you when you are there and you are with it, it's like you are showing up at a whole new co star walks into the space with
1: you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt yeah, it was it was so incredible and also just like so surreal, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. it's like this thing. That, like, you write on the page and then, like, you see it in front of you, you know, <laughs> moving. And there's, like, I think there's, like, a part of me that's, like, I, you know, there there was a lot of people that helped bring it to, to life. But it's just, like, I don't know, in that moment when it's there doing the thing that it needs to be doing, it just – it doesn't even feel – yeah, it's just it's just such a surreal feeling because you're just like whoa, like I ha- I hatched this sort of. <laughs> but,
0: like, it's my baby. But, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think like I, like on Mother's Day, I, like sent, I have no kids, and I sent it to like my mom, and I was like, Happy Mother's Day to me. Like, <laughs> was, like, just it's just like a thing where I was like, you know, so proud, so proud of all of us for you know putting putting in so it was so many hours. I yeah. mean, to make it come to life. I mean, uh, Julia spent, she had like a teeth factory in her studio and just, yeah, it was, it was a lot, a a lot, a lot of work, um, to make it look as good as it did. Um, and then, yeah, just to be on set. And like, I think there was this also this other aspect of like, yes, it was great for the actors, but I just feel like it was also really amazing for the crew. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Um, so like there was like, in this way with the, you know, we had this really phenomenal crew of people that came together for this production. And it was just so fun when Chispa was on set, just like, it, it felt like all of a sudden, like if you, you know, if you weren't on set, you were coming to set. <laughs> 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 See Chispa do its thing. Um, and so that was just like really fun to like have, have that experience with the community here. Um, yeah. And I think there's, You know, like Danielle Ross was the performer um, in the suit, and she was just she's she was also a dancer and just really brought a lot of movement skills to you know bringing chispa to life i mean it, it's a tricky thing to like yes. walk in a body that's not your body and to make it feel alive and you know she put in you know countless hours with me just like being like okay like what does chispa look like when it breathes like how you know how do you move this exoskeleton that's on top of your body to like yeah. make it feel like that thing and um, these were all like new skills that none of us had really explored before but we're like all really excited by the challenge of it and yeah I think in that way like if I hadn't if They hadn't been excited about it. I don't know that it would have worked as well, but, like, there was just, like, this, like, fascination with, like, how do do you do this thing? And we were just, I don't know, it's just super fun in that way of, like, oh, like, when you'd figure it out, like, you you try something, and Mm -hmm. you'd be like, oh, that doesn't actually, like, there was this thing where we, like, had these eyes, eyelids on Chispa, And, like, they're definitely, like, utilized in this way of, like, creating, like, us, like, when Chispa wakes up, like, the Chispa reveal. Mm -hmm. There were, like, times where I would, like, look at it, and I'd be, like, Chispa kind of looks stoned right now. (laughs) 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 It was just so, it was, like, so funny to me, but it was also just, like, but it's great, because it's, like, Chispa's waking up. Um, (laughs) It's super cute. It's just, like. I don't know. So many things where you're just like, you're l- like kind of like learning, like, what does, what can this say or how can, how can I communicate with this creature and what do I, what all do I want to show? Like, we had, we had multiple eyelids and then had this realization that like it was actually just better, like creepier to have like the eyes just be like round and glowing for the bulk of the film. Yeah. Um,
3: yeah.
0: Very but, cool. I mean, it's, I, I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of energy and work and, and decisions mm-hmm. that go into, Uh, creating a creature from scratch. And it's it's smart that you're basing a lot of its elements on stuff that exists, right? Because, you know, I think it can be overwhelming. I've designed creatures before, and it can be very overwhelming if you're, you know, going like, how the fuck does this thing move? And and you're trying to pull these elements out of nothing. But the smart move is to be basing it on fish or basing it on, on creatures that do exist because then there's a sense it at least has the elements that are slightly familiar to mm-hmm. the audience. So then the audience can find a point of reference where it's like, it kind of feels like a dog, but sure dogs don't have teeth like that, you know? Like,
3: <laughs>
0: And I think that adds to the creepiness and the horror of it. I think if it's too far out of whack, if it's too, um, uh, impressionistic, then the audience, they have a lot of trouble fucking identifying with a creature like
1: that. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. And so, Sarah, let's talk a little bit about the, the shooting of this. So uh, I think it's genius that you guys decided to do it black and white. I love black and white movies. And as a, as a photographer, I always love black and white because I felt like it sort of strips everything down to contrast, which I, which I really like. Um, but also for the practical reasons, it's very smart for you to go black and white because you don't really have control over the entire location in the mall. Um, But uh, what was the process like for you? Did you have the ability to do a lot of lighting in that situation? Or were you just working with the elements that you had, sir?
2: No, uh, great question. And I take no credit for uh, the uh, idea of shooting this in black and white, because that uh, was, you know, part of Karina's initial pitch to me. Mm -hmm. Um, It was definitely like uh, something I was extremely excited about. Uh, but not necessarily uh, anything that, that came uh, from my brain. But um, as far as uh, the lighting approach, I mean, we set up a lot of lights. Um, I had a team of uh, five in my lighting department, mm-hmm. uh, five to six. The, you know, we had a, uh, somebody who was kind of like uh, coming in, to help us finish out our nights and came in on the third day, Mm -hmm. um, which was a, which was an overnight. Um, and it was, I mean, I first off had like the most incredible team, not just in lighting, but in camera. And I think beyond uh, even my department, um, we really uh, were like so blessed with just the best people on this crew. The energy was incredible. Um, You know, uh, it was, we were covering a lot of ground um, in this mall. There was a lot of different things we were working around between, you know, scheduling out actor schedules Mm -hmm. and um, different locations that worked best at different times. We shot two, you know, the whole, almost the whole film takes place at night, minus a couple of scenes, one of which we shot in a windowless room. So that, you know, that's a day scene, but it doesn't even... sure you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but we, you know, the, the time slots we had for two of the days at the mall were 10 AM to 10 PM. So, you know, we had to be really particular about when we would shoot in certain places. Um, and I had an amazing team and we had, uh, you know, a pretty good set of resources. Um, but there were a lot of things we still couldn't do. We didn't have, uh, fly swatters. We couldn't, you know, like black out the skylight. Um, it wasn't that kind of show, Yeah. but um, what, uh, so, so it really just came down to like, how do we schedule this in a way? And then those, mom- you know, there was a few scenes that were really tricky because we were shooting them during the day um, and there was daylight coming in, but we needed it to look like night. Um, and then black and white certainly has its own, way of um approaching that um but you know really at the end of the day it came down to you know let's overpower the ambient light as much Mm -hmm. as we possibly can with our own light so we can bring the exposure down Mm -hmm. so that we can set the stage Um, but as you know beyond that i mean as far as lighting um you know the mall uh is a mix of like old fluorescents and you know maybe cfls from you know from whenever the 80s and (laughs) newer leds which you know the old fluorescents are one thing the newer leds are like intense um and as a result like we can't uh we didn't have any control over what was on and what was off so if we if we didn't want to see something we had to you know, flag it. Or there was one scene that had a bunch of can lights um, that my gaffer uh, suggested, just like getting some black helium balloons to put over the cans, uh, which works incredibly. Oh,
0: that's um, but beyond super that, like when you know, in, yeah, what a good it, idea.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because we were working a lot with you know uh, replacing some of the fluorescent tubes with astero tubes and sort of replacing the existing with our own um and a lot of led partly because we need there was a lot of effects there was a lot of flickers and different things that we had to program in um and a little bit of tungsten here and there just to help like fill in the spectrum but Mm -hmm. i mean the spectrum on the old fluorescence is so bad that um Mm -hmm. you know even just like pulling up the uh sort of previous footage we shot i mean you can just there's no life in the skin, yeah. um, which, you know, um, you know, people often think about that as color spectrum and you're losing colors. But, I mean, when you translate that into black and white, um, I mean, you're just losing contrast at that point yeah. because all those different colors create this micro-contrast. Um, and I think, like, lighting with soft light in black and white is a challenge um, because you're trying to find you're trying to find contrast, uh, you know, and you don't want it to feel flat and you're, you have no color contrast to lean into. So when you lose that color spectrum, you lose everything and you lose all the life. So it was, it was like this interesting challenge of like making sure we had hard light where we could. Um, and then, you know, there were some scenes that we really were just living in soft light because that's, uh, you know, when we saw the big wide where we could see all the lights in the shot, sure, sure, um, sure. the only thing we could put there was a stereotube. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting mix of sort of finding that, um, finding that balance. And then there were, uh, you know, specific effects we were trying to get, like spotlight effects um, that, you know, happened in one of our rooftop scenes. And we had some like sort of moonlighty stuff. Um so it was it was a real hodgepodge. We had like, you know, Parkans, we had some of the newer like uh Nanlux, Evoke
3: mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. it
2: was like uh it was kind of you know, we were trying to figure out, like, you know, what can we plug into these standard outlets because you know we don't have the resources to be running everything from a generator outside. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially. So how can we run off house power, but also get enough level to compete with? Yeah, yes. So much uncontrollable pre-existing
0: yes. lighting. I mean, and the, for those of you listening to the show that really uh, don't understand what we're talking about, it's it's a difficult thing to out you. Basically, if you can't control the outside sunlight, normally what you would do is have the ability to either block it out or sort of tent it out, so then you could start working from scratch. Uh, but if you can't do that, uh, you try to out-expose it with your light units, which means that you generally need much larger units that are giving you a lot more output to sort of uh, you know beat out the sun. So it, it then becomes this weird sort of issue of like how much power do we have how, what's the calculation of what we're running how many circuits do I have And it becomes uh, and you start feeling like it's <laughs> it's it's cinematography pre 2000 <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> it's like back in the day where it was like okay we got a generator or we have a tie in you know what I mean because we just don't have enough mm-hmm. we don't have enough for it and, and that's when I was doing a lot of my cinematography was back in those days and it was a fucking nightmare all the time especially in in the uh, indie world where you just didn't have the budget to be mm. able to do that kind of stuff. So uh, I sympathize. It sounds like it was quite a challenging uh, shoot for you with all that stuff.
2: I mean, it was challenging. Uh, it was challenging for me in certain ways. I think it was more challenging for the, for the lighting team um, <laughs> because they were <laughs> the ones setting it all up. And uh, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty amazing to watch them work. Um, I mean, uh, it was like, we were at the same time lighting a set, we were pre lighting a set and we were tearing down a set, um, Mm -hmm. all the time that was Mm -hmm. always happening. Um, and it was, uh, constantly like, all right, let's think ahead. What units aren't we using here that we can start setting up over there? What can we be doing here? And, you know, a team of five is is pretty good on a short film, but um, those resources, uh, you know, feel limiting when they're in three spaces at, the at once. Yeah. Um, but yeah. again, I had like the most incredible team. Everybody was not only like absurdly talented and had so much amazing input. I mean, there was so much collaboration with. Uh, with my gaffer and my key grip, my dolly grip, uh, even like my, uh, you know, my best electric who is doing all the lighting effects. Um, and uh, we were, uh, I mean, yeah, it was like so much to do, but uh, they were just like, they were fine. They were figuring it out. They were figuring out how to make it all work within the time allotted. Um, and uh, it was, it was amazing and I think at the end of the day we were like looking back at what we accomplished like what were we thinking? How did we do that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but th- this You know what that is though and I felt that way when we did 12 cam because we were doing like 35 setups a day for some of that shit. Wow. Um, it, when when you look back at it you just you know when you have such a solid, solid uh, lighting and grip team and th- th- those uh, the men and women that we worked with they were so happy to be working and they were so happy to mm. be working consistently. Cause a lot of times on some movies, depending upon the type of film you're doing, the team comes in, they work real hard and then you're sitting around, you're sitting around mm. and you're sort of puttering around and doing stuff. And I know a lot of my guys that I work with are like, I'd rather have a fucking full day because the day goes by faster. And it seems like you're, I'm more involved and it feels like we're, you know, trying to solve problems is is our creativity. And that's what it is, it's all about. Um, and w- if you can find a solid team that you respect and you treat well, and this is going out to the listeners of the show and the young producers that listen to the show, don't be an asshole to your fucking lighting team. Like you really have to respect those folks because they're going to make your days for you. They're really going to make the stuff happen at the level that you needed to. And if you have a crew that is motivated and inspired by the cinematographer and the director, uh, you can create some really great magic in camera with lighting effects and everything. So it's nice to hear that you guys had that. I'm I, like, I'm honestly, I, I'm excited to see this piece. I would be asking more detail questions if I had seen footage. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, like I, I mean, I want to piggyback on what you just said because Karina, um, I mean you know, it really, Karina really set the tone for uh, what, you know, how this was going to go. And, you know, we had our first safety meeting on day one and Karina, you know, uh, basically said to everyone, look, you know, like this is super fun. We're all like privileged to be able to do this. And I think, you know, there's magic that's going to happen and let's all try to like, just stay present and, Mm -hmm. stay off our phones and just like let's make this piece of art together and i mean that totally translated and everybody was just like was there experiencing the magic uh in a way that you know you don't get to see on every set and i think part of it comes comes down to like there was enough to do that everyone was busy but i think also you know everything uh karina was talking about with like having, you know, like having a real creature on set, um, mm-hmm. like getting to uh, watch Muffy dance through this mall um, and I think just just so much other weirdness we haven't even talked about which is like shooting in an open mall that, uh, <laughs> is, that is like trying to find its identity uh, this space and there was like at one point we were shooting this scene it's like this really sort of like creepy stalking scene from Chispa and again it's Chispa moving so Chispa is responding to Karina's voice yet at the same time right next to us behind uh, 40 foot solid is a choir rehearsing oh my uh,
3: god oh my god
2: <laughs> and i think they were rehearsing for like three hours <laughs> uh, we weren't shooting the scene for that long but i mean you couldn't hear anything and oh it was my like god. we all uh felt like we were tripping out um, but it was like this sort of beautiful weird uh movie making experience and i think we all walked away like it is weird and kind of maybe stressful as that could have been like it was magical and a little bit like why we do this
0: <laughs> yeah isn't it isn't it weird right so you like you go through like i i often have been in like very stressful situations on that on sets like that where i'm like ah, how can this be happening or if you're like you're trying to make your way through it but internally you're like why is there a fucking choir singing you know and then it, it, it's it's always It's always months after, or even a year after, or two years after you shoot something like that, that you all get together again, or you meet, you meet a crew person on another project and you guys just start talking. (laughs) You just start talking about like, remember how great that was that day? The choir was singing. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's like Stockholm Syndrome with with filmmaking to a certain extent, where you're just like, remember when we got tortured on that? It was so much fun. (laughs) All right. Time to take a break. Uh, I want to, uh, talk about some gear and, uh, so many of you that listen to the show are gear heads or gear nerds constantly asking me, uh, what can we get our hands on that you use? How do you build your style? What tools do you use? Well, I will uh, let you know right now. That's what this is about. Um, for those of you who are in the market for a computer and I talk about it on the show on this episode, Uh, being able to use a Puget system on set while shooting. So I had a assistant editor on set with us uh, loading the footage and uh, cutting the sequences, doing a rough cut of the sequences so that I can figure out if it was working first off, but I could also figure out if, uh, you know, the actors really had their head wrapped around stuff. So it's it's really nice to be able to go, just check out the sequence. And they go, ah, right, that's why it's, okay, got it, got it, got it. Well, with Puget Systems, we were able to do that full res, fast, super fast. But the only thing slowing us down was the transfer of footage off the cards into the system. But hopefully, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but hopefully with all this new, um, you know, straight to cloud shooting stuff, right? So camera to cloud stuff, uh, that'll make that system even faster and cooler. You know what I mean? But if you're in the the market for a new computer, uh, consider building yourself a PC. They're more stable, they're upgradable. You don't throw them out after five years, (laughs) like some of the other uh, hardware's out there. And they don't bully you into building things a specific way. They're not like, hey, all our hardware is hard baked onto the motherboard, so you can't really upgrade anything. And so you could buy the low-end version of this But it probably will be outdated in about a year or so. So you should probably buy the top of the line. It's such a fucking bully move. I talk about this. I I was just on another podcast recently, and he asked me, he goes, Mike, why do you get so, you're so passionate about specific stuff? And I go, yeah, I know. And he goes, well, well, you do a lot of rants on your show. And I go, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. And he goes, well, is it just because you, you, you like to be an asshole? Is it just because you like cause trouble? I said, no, I just, I don't like fucking bullies. I don't like bullies. I never have. And I feel like there are a lot of bullies in our business. I feel like there's a lot of corporate bullies that are out there pushing us around. And that's why I'm very specific about the companies that I pick and have on this show as sponsors, the people that I team up with, and they need to be uh, supportive. They need to be people that are, are building stuff for us and we're not just here to buy them new boats, you know what I mean? Like to get them a yacht. Like, uh, and what I love about Puget Systems is that it's a family run business. These people build computers, uh, they get, they uh, benchmark test, they test all this new hardware in the marketplace and they figure out the best, the best way to put these systems together to work on the software that you're gonna use. Can you imagine buying a computer based upon the software you're going to use so you go to pugetsystems.com and you go all right i'm going to build myself a resolve machine uh does it matter if i have the newest graphics card because even though that company that's trying to sell a bunch of graphics cards to me is telling me that it's going to do well does it actually do better than the generation before this and puget systems does all those benchmark tests so they know so even if you're not going to buy a computer from puget they're a great resource for you if you're building your own pc and if you do buy a computer from Puget Systems, their customer support are human. They're human beings that like to talk to you. Um, and when you pick a baseline system based upon the software you're gonna use, they expect you to customize it. They expect you to talk to them about what it is that you need. If you want to figure out what my system is, my mean, 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 mean 6K, multiple tracks, I think I had 24 tracks of real-time video on this thing, um, Asked. The folks at Puget Systems, write to them, go to PugetSystems.com and go, what is the system Mike is using? If you're someone that is allergic to going to websites, go to them on Instagram, at Puget Systems on Instagram and write to them there and say, I want a computer like Mike's. What is he fucking running? Because I, I told you guys years ago or a while ago, I'm not going to tell you again. You have to ask Puget. All right. So PugetSystems.com, the place to go for a computer. Um, supporting this show, quite obviously, is Fujifilm. Our friends at Fujifilm, uh, we love them. Gina and I use uh, multiple cameras from them. I have the uh, H, I always fuck this up, the X-H2S camera, which I love. It is such a great shooter shoots ProRes, 4K ProRes, great color profile. When I pair that up with uh, my PhotoDiox lens adapter, I can put any lenses that I want on that camera, which I love. Um, Gina and I have been putting, uh, her Mamiya lenses on her GFX 100 S and because of the adapter extending the lens away from the body, it turns a minimum focus lens, a lens that usually has a minimum focus of about three to five feet from it to having a minimum focus of uh, almost a foot from it. So it changes the actual characteristics of a lens. And then uh, we have that sort of creamy, beautiful look of old school mamias while shooting these photographs it's a lot of fun to be able to adapt your old lenses to a new camera body and if you're using any of fuji film's cameras you know that their color profiles are amazing you know that their support is amazing their, their build is fucking phenomenal um, and they really 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 do care about filmmakers they're hard at work trying to develop a new camera which i don't know if i'm allowed to talk about yet that will change the game for people in a specific price range i'm telling you i can't say enough great things about fujifilm um and uh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stop gushing right because we're all over this episode so if you if you love their stuff click the links in the description of our episode today they're traceable links they'll know fuji will know that i sent you to them Uh, but check out their refurbished link that i have down there because you never know you might find that lens that you were looking for at a fucking fraction of the price Also supporting the show are friends at Boca Rentals. The place to go for the best lenses in the marketplace, the best cameras in the marketplace. If you're in Los Angeles or Las Vegas, this is the rental house for you. Their inventory is insane, their connections are insane. So, all those really super cool uh, large format lenses that you might want to try on a camera that now enables you to. Shoot large format, and maybe you're using a Photo Deox PL mount adapter on whatever that camera is. Maybe it's a Fujifilm camera, and uh, you want to try out some of these lenses, man. Call up Boca. Or you can go to BocaRentals.com, go to them on Instagram, and be like, Can I come in and try out some of these lenses? I'd like to set up an account with you guys. What does it take? You'd be surprised. I, it blows my mind how many. Young filmmakers are just afraid to go to rental houses because they're afraid of the paperwork. It's not that hard at all. It's not that hard at all. Um, you do need to have some insurance for this sort of stuff, but you can get basic insurance to get it with a rental house. You can get basic basic insurance to do that. You can either get short-term insurance or you can get a year uh, term and uh, it's pretty affordable. And the move is really what I do is I, I wait for a corporate job and then I charge the full amount of that insurance for the year on that corporate job and then I have insurance for the whole year. It's a smart move to do it, right? Um, but anyway, Boca Rentals. And if you have questions about insurance, if you have questions about rent, uh, renting gear and setting up the paperwork, they're very approachable. Just get down there or write them an email and say, I'm, I'm fascinated with the process. I really want to get my hands on some gear that I could never afford to buy myself. And I'm really trying to develop my my style and my... Uh, my portfolio as a cinematographer. Can I come down and try out some stuff? Uh, and they, I guarantee you, they will help you out. And when you do go down there, send me a photo. You like, i am at Boca. Uh, so yeah, that's what's up. Uh, and for those of you who are newcomers to the show, maybe you're Fujifilm fans, uh, and uh, they sent you over here, maybe you are just... Uh, desperately looking for some insider information on how to make a movie, because maybe you don't live in Los Angeles or or Atlanta or New York. Maybe you're trying to make a movie out in Minnesota. Well, hopefully on our show, we'll give you as much information as I possibly can for free. You're not even paying for this stuff. Um, And the best place to go if you want to just listen to specific episodes about directing or cinematography is go to inlovewiththeprocess.com there I've curated episodes based upon subject material I make it very fucking easy for you there um and then also it's a great place while you're listening to the show to check out all the supplemental materials that I put on that show's web page so I may put trailers up that'll be where the trailer uh for this film for cheese Bud's gonna end up um so good place to go in love of the process.com all right let's get back to the show it's uh it's cool man it's cool to hear you guys had such a great time and you know just technically what did you guys shoot it with what what rig did you guys shoot the whole piece with i don't know if we're allowed to talk about it oh well i talk about it now talk about it now beep it out if 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 we're not i'll check with them if if that's the case okay yeah 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 um
2: yeah i mean definitely please delete this if uh you know, uh, we're not allowed to say. Uh, I'll try not to say anything too revealing, but sure. we shot it on um, Fuji's uh, latest uh, sort of flagship camera, um, and it is sort of the next evolution of what they've been working on. And um, it really did impress me, like, constantly, um, just seeing. <clears throat> you know, not only as a sort of, uh, owner of the X H2S, um, and user, and then, um, also, you know, a user of the GFX 100. I mean, this camera really, uh, was constantly impressing me. I mean, those cameras impress me in so many ways. Um, and it really feels like they, uh, figured out how to, um, I think create uh, create something that uh, I mean it really does compete with a lot of the uh, sort of uh, the quote, best cameras out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's in this really small body. So um, I don't shoot a lot on mirrorless sort of uh, DSLR body style cameras these days um but certainly once upon a time um i did you know i think my filmmaking career my professional career really like started at the time of the 5D Mark II yes um yep. so and, and there was a, a sort of a style to that um and it was cool kind of like stepping back into that world with this camera and being able to um not only rig it out and put a permista zooms on it um, with, the, nice. with you know, all the bells and whistles uh, and um, having some really interesting uh, in-camera functionality like uh, camera to cloud and that sort of thing. But also just being able to sort of like, because we had two bodies on set, to be able to, we had one that was just like totally stripped down and to be able to just kind of grab it for some of the handheld shots mm-hmm. and go um, <clears throat> was really freeing in an interesting way and i think it allowed us to explore some sort of like different ways of approaching things um that i think felt like appropriately gritty i know there's one shot in the film um where you know me and three of my uh my lighting pals were uh following behind me with uh, a tubes that were flickering. um, Mm -hmm. And we had our, our security guard actor running uh, full bore ahead. (laughs) And we were just trying to keep up with him, um, (laughs) which was quite hilarious to do. And I'm sure uh, for Karina to watch, but um, it, you know, it really was freeing that I could just kind of grab this camera and go and not worry so much about, weight or the this or the that um, but then you know we had a bigger rig that you know I could throw on my shoulder and sort of capture some sort of like different different modes of handheld so we could we could really like stretch out from mm-hmm. the like from the tripod to the slider and dolly mm-hmm. to the sort mm-hmm. of like composed uh, sort of reserved handheld to the really frenetic handheld and I think this camera really lent itself perfectly to all of that and so much more. But um, I also want to like let Karina talk a little bit about sort of what, um, I don't know, like what her experiences as a director sort of uh, working with this camera were.
1: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) the awkward pause no no,
1: no. (laughs) um no I'm like I'm like what can I add to that because it was just like I feel like there was so much that you said that I'm like yep 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 that was like it was so awesome it was so fluid I don't I feel like there was like and then I just felt like there was like so many times I just would come over and I'd see the frame and I'd just be like stunning gorgeous <laughs> like <laughs> just really thrilled and i mean i think like as far as like the features um that like i was really that was like a new experience for me was the camera to cloud feature yeah, yeah it's um, very
0: cool stuff it's very cool stuff
1: yeah that was like that was just I hadn't, I hadn't really like ever you know certainly doing indie projects um sometimes i would get to see like dailies at the end of the day but like for the most part it was never really like that instant. Um, and so having this camera to cloud feature where it's just like, you know, we shoot something and then it was just like up on frame IO um, was really just super useful um, both for, you know, the script supervisor who was on set mm-hmm. um, as mm-hmm. keeping track of things for us, but also just like, as I, I, I would find myself every, every morning before I would get to, or, you know, or before I'd have to be on set, I would basically spend like about an hour just going through what we shot the day before and then like kind of like looking at the shot list for the day ahead and kind of like thinking about just, you know, making all my notes. Um, and so being able to have access to that technology and that, that footage so so instantaneously, it just was like super valuable to the creative process um, in this way that like I just, yeah i was like oh this was awesome that was awesome i was like i want it on <laughs> all my projects um to mm-hmm. be able to have access to that i mean but yeah i think overall just was blown away by how just absolutely gorgeous the footage has looked and has looked in the post process yeah. Um, yeah yeah
0: yeah i'm excited about it because i know you know, I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about. We will, you know, some of the stuff will be bleeped if you're listening to the show. We might omit some things just because we're, you know, we're in the future and you guys are in the past still as far as what's going on with <laughs> with their stuff. Or
2: maybe we're in the past. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I have I, I've hung out with <laughs> them. I've I've talked with the Fuji folks, and uh, I know what this stuff does. It's pretty rad. And I've done camera to cloud stuff before, which is awesome. And uh, for me. It's great that you brought up the script supervisor thing because that really kind of changes the game for a lot of script supervisors uh, because Mm -hmm. they can actually be sorting through footage, which is nice to make sure that that stuff works. And then when I did uh, Who's There, uh, one of our sponsors on that, our buddies over at Puget Systems that build the edit computers, they were on set. They brought an actual edit computer on set. So I had an editor. I had my assistant editor on set assembling scenes while we were shooting, which was crucial for like a lot of different suspense shots uh sequences. And Mm -hmm. it was also like a crucial moment for a lot of talent, especially on day one when I can, you know, be shooting that morning and we broke for lunch. I could just go over and say, hey, um, check out the scene. And they go, Oh fuck, this is what the movie is. You go, Yep, that's it. And so (laughs) then then they're fully committed. I wish I had for uh camera to cloud because we, you know, you spend a lot of fucking time you know, transferring and, and data transferring, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, and just being able to have, you know, when when I do the next feature, when I do a film, I'm going to have an editor on set and just be doing the same sort of situation where it's like, do me a favor, just do rough assembles and let me know if we're missing anything. Do I need inserts? Are there little mm-hmm. moments here before we have to tear this set down? So it, it, it's a very useful, useful thing for shooters. And I'm I'm excited at the level of quality that this camera has coming out they've combined a lot of the great stuff that's on all their other rigs and they've made it into a big thing. And, uh, I, it's going to change the game I think for this price point for cameras for sure.
2: Uh, Yeah. And I just want to gush a little bit more if, if that's okay. Um, just about a few more things that I think were, you know, so amazing. Um, one of the things is it's sort of handling of, of highlights, um, which is always like, you know, I think for a long time, uh, in, in digital, that was like, you know, the Alexa did it and nobody else. And then, um, you know, there's, there's players in that space now. Um, but you know, we did a exposure test a couple of days before the first shoot. I mean, I didn't have a ton of time with the camera, um, but you know, I was able to do an exposure test and I think, um, our colorist Mark, who was also everything else, um, <laughs> he you know he pulled it into Resolve and uh, and you know sent me back some uh, files of like base exposure all the way through four stops overexposed and um, I mean you know. Three zero to three, it was identical, and then four stops, it was nearly identical, Um, which you know gave me a lot of confidence. We ended up shooting pretty much the whole film one stop overexposed, Um, minus I think one or two instances where like we just needed a little more level. Um, And uh, yeah, but the handling of those highlights in in a space again, like I've said a million times, that I had. You know, not always a lot of control over. We were seeing our um, our lights and you know the mall's lights in our shots quite yeah. often on yeah. a lot of the big wides, and um, it was just like uh, you know all of that renders so beautifully. Um, it you know we were able we we on set we had the sort of full permista set. Um, which we utilized that full range. There were mm-hmm. some moments. I mean, and this camera can cover, like, actually more than the Promistas can handle, which is pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, I mean, I'm excited, like, excited to put some, like, 65 mil lenses on this and really, like, uh, see some magic that I haven't seen on anything large format. But with the Promista mode, I... Um, you know, even being able to to throw a lens on and shoot, you know, shoot at a twenty instead of shooting at like a, you know, whatever it would be, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, in uh, you know, in standard large format or of uh, you know super thirty five, um, in some of the small spaces we were working in was was just amazing. Um, I mean, yeah, so they're really in the color space is is gorgeous. I mean, we're black and white was the queen but um you know just uh seeing how well this this handles color handles sort of like uh when color spectrum is is left to be desired out of certain output sources like um it really really is a a powerful camera um and like you said for the price point it's going to be yeah a a really uh (laughs) tempting thing for a lot of
0: people yeah i think so i think so i think so and we talk about this i won't get too deep into this but we talk about this on the show all the time and yes Fujifilm sponsors us and yes Fujifilm had helped you guys out with the uh the film that you did but the, the reason why i like fuji more than you know the gear they just don't feel like they're trying to pedal off gear on us and the fact that as a company they are uh, financing and supporting films and supporting filmmakers to make these projects, uh, there aren't many manufacturers out there that are doing that, if any, that are doing that. And so they have a genuine love and respect for the art and for the artistry of it all. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to try to sell you on a Fujifilm camera. It's a tool, man. There's a, there's a, there's a ton of tools out there that exist but what's interesting with what they're doing is they're kind of taking like what would normally be the out of our price range in the indie world uh, format of stuff. And they're bringing it down so that it's a bit more approachable for us to do without having to, you know, f- fucking mortgage your house. <laughs> 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 so it's uh, it's an interesting thing. I, and I, I don't know how much we're going to have in this episode based upon whether or not uh, they're news releasing this yet. But uh, when we can finally talk about it, I will definitely put this clip up and you guys will be happy to hear. Um, <laughs> well, anyway, I, I think this is the point where we should probably deviate and sort of uh, end this episode because we've been at this for a bit. Um, like uh, both of you, uh, it's been such a pleasure, uh, you know, talking about this stuff. And I'm very – you have to send me this piece when it's done. Like what What are the um, – so are you still in post-production right now? Like, is it finished? Where are you at?
1: Yeah. So, um, we're still in post-production on the short. Um, we've, we're just finishing up also the trailer, uh, Mm -hmm. for Fujifilm. And, um, yeah, I think the, the plan right now is to, um, you know, finish up the short in time for, uh, film festival submissions um, right around like September, October. Mm-hmm. Um, and so try to just like hit that, hit that circuit strong um, come the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, feeling really awesome about it. Um, I think it's just, I don't know, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, you make the film and the script, you make the film and the production and then you make it in post. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, it's so refreshing to like come into post and be like it, finding it like it's coming a bit easier than it has in past projects. Mm -hmm. Um, That like things are really cutting nicely together. And even though, you know, things shifted on the day or um, moved around because of uh, production needs, there's like this aspect where like the road still feels really clear um, of what we're making and, and how it's coming together. So yeah, super feeling really good about that. And we've got like a really awesome, solid post team in place. Um, my sound designer is just like so excited about (laughs) the Chispa creature sound and developing that. Um, and is like already been, working on how that's going to take form and take shape. And yeah, just excited for the challenges of, you know, bringing even more life to the project. I always feel like post is like that. It's like this, like, it it starts out in this like strange amalgamation of like, (laughs) okay, now I'm finding the movie again. But then there's like this moment where all of a sudden, like it's this new thing. And then there's like this like finishing layer that like, is like the custom score and the custom color. And you have like the VFX and the, you know, all the sound work that comes in and then you're like, whoa, this is a movie. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it, just like this magical sort of thing. I don't know, filmmaking is a wild journey, (laughs) (laughs) y'all.
0: It is, man. It's like this, it's this faith-based system on, on like, on, on a process, on, um, you know, you know, uh, just determination. And then, you know, when you, when you team up with the right collaborators, and if you have the, if you have healthy people around you, um, the post-process Uh, is such a, (laughs) it's such an emotional process because I mean, I I think it's great that you have the footage when you're uh, going through the post and it seems like it's all fitting together, but I, 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 it doesn't matter what project I do. I always end up in the post and I go, okay, so that's how many clips we got. Okay. <laughs> let's go to the Let's see what we can do with this. And, all right, let's see what we can do with that. It, it's it's and then whenever you do your first cut, you're just like, I'm a fucking failure.
3: It's <laughs> so, like there's,
0: there's that transition oh. of like you're like, oh fuck, you know, um but it, it, it becomes so joyous uh when you like you said, you put in those finishing layers, when you get like a good color grade done, there's nothing tastier yeah. than watching a color grade come together. <laughs> Uh, You know, and there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing tastier than hearing uh, sound effects rock in. And then even now, Mm. I just finished a new short, which you guys haven't seen. I just finished a brand new one where we spent so much time doing the sound mix and really sort of examining, which is really kind of fun, understanding the real estate that exists for, for audio. So when you do a master or a mix, especially when you're dealing in horror, um, you start to try to set levels, thus giving you enough room to uh, amplify it as the piece continues. So you're like, okay, what is the what is the loudest part of this movie? That loud part will hit here at this decibel rate.
3: Mm-hmm. And so then
0: where is the, where's the base of the movie going to be? That'll be here. And then I usually go through my piece and I go, okay, this scare is going to hit here. This scare is going to hit here. This scare will hit here. And then just sort of mastering that stuff together. It's really fucking cool. It's like almost orchestrating the emotional context that the volume levels are going to have in the audience. So it's, it's very nerdy, but it's very exciting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so exciting. It's so exciting. And it's so like, it's just, I don't know. I I mean, I I feel like sound, I mean, to bring it full circle with sound, um, (laughs) but like, (laughs) I think some there's like my partner once said like sound is like wiggly air. Like it's something that actually like goes out and touches you. Mm. And like, Mm -hmm. and so like, I think about that a lot. And like you talking about the mix, just like, you know, thinking about like, you know, we're, we're doing like music for the trailer right now. And just like, there's this part where like Mel, the composer has like made sound go from my left ear to my right ear. And like that, that feeling, that like it just sucks you in um in this way so yeah i just i don't know i like love that that you're touching on that because
0: oh it's yeah it's the shit it really is and it's like
1: (laughs) it's It's very it's
0: very tasty and when you when you when you understand i mean because look let me be honest as a horror film director i'm a manipulator that's what i like to do i like to manipulate the way you feel in the audience and and that's most of the time, when you feel something, if I'm doing it correctly, you think you're feeling it that way because, you, because of you. Actually, you're not. You're doing it because of all <laughs> this hidden trickery that we have going on in the background. And there's nothing more satisfying to me than mm-hmm. uh, you know slightly manipulating the way people feel about a character, which you saw when it was in the rough cut with no sound effects no sound design and you're like this is the most boring fucking sequence that I've ever done like how long does it take them to get down to the door to open the fucking door but then once you start layering it out with sound effects and you start teasing the audience and they're like what am I hearing and why is this pulling me towards the door and then you get respect for it later where they go that was the most suspenseful scene I've ever like how did you shoot that what camera did you shoot that on I'm like oh you're completely misguided
3: (laughs) <laughs> so it's it's yeah. really- <laughs> you know
2: it's interesting i think the way a film is like uh, it's sort of like this amalgamation of different pieces that yeah. have these different subtle and sometimes not so subtle effects Um, But those subtle ones, I think you layer enough of them in there and they start to develop this language that speaks to you without you realizing it. Mm -hmm. And your, your specific role in that may, you know, like, uh, you know, not, not as a director, but for everyone else may seem small or uh, insignificant in some way, but like that little thing you did alongside the you know, twelve other little things that are happening in that moment create, you know, the whole. And that's I, yes. I don't know. That's Dang. why filmmaking is like the most beautiful thing in the world.
0: Man, it's very like you're bringing tears to my eyes just saying that. Like it, it really <laughs> is. It really is that. And the the thing I love about it so much is that you know there is this myth that directors know everything there's this myth that when we you know we think of christopher nolan is like that guy was a g he came out of his mother understanding what a 65 millimeter lens does it's like no no (laughs) you you learn this through through life and you learn this through experiences in life and the the moments that we feel as storytellers like the moment i felt on my first breakup and how my body shook and what that did i'm trying to convey maybe years and years later And I'm like, well, what tools do I have at my disposal to make the audience's body shake the way that mine was? Maybe this is low bass sounds that I'm running out of Mm -hmm. the actual speakers here. And maybe this has something to do with the lens choice. And maybe it should just be a really filthy, dirty, edged lens that (laughs) is focusing our perspective on the misery on the face of this person. Like That's the language of, of our craft. That's the language of our medium that if done correctly you don't realize you're reading a sentence you know what i mean you're just you're feeling Mm. a story um and i I have so many people that listen to the show that ask like how do you create your style how do you create tone and all of these things that we're talking about right now those are like the tone foundation for
1: i think like like to kind of like mirror sarah's point like there's like, yes, there's like those aspects that like you experience as a director, but there's also this like, like, I think it's like, I don't know, at least for me, I find that like, that, that aspect of like letting in those collaborators and their, uh, their individual experiences to like contribute to that, like to the art, I think it's like creates like even a richer, it's like almost like it, like, you know, it's it's not about for me. It's like not about having all the ideas. It's about having the right people to come together to like. It's like that's that's like why the costume designer is who they are. Like it's because I want yes. I want them to bring those little things. That's why the you know production designer. But it's also like why like the focus pullers there. You know, it's like everybody's like their their little their little pieces are you know ultimately it's like the culmination of that, that like makes the film. And I think like all of their experiences as well, like can just, yeah, it creates a richer, richer thing in the end. And I think like, I know like Christopher Nolan is like this, like (laughs) monolith, but like, there's like, you watch the credit list and it's just like a village, you know, of uh, like people that are like working on this thing. And, Like those individuals, like, you know, right on down to the production assistants and interns, like, they're like them doing, you know, running those like copies or like passing out water bottles. It's like those, I know those, like, those things to me sometimes. I remember being a PA and being like, why am I even, what am I even doing with my life? And it's like, wait, well, wait, like, if, if, like, I don't have, like, if I don't have that printout, like, as the director, I can't, like, yes. it's harder for me to do my job. And, like, that's, that contribution is actually, like, contributing to, like, you know, being able to do this thing. And so, like, all of these cogs are, like, actually just, like, working together in this, like, intricate machine that's making art. Yeah, um, and yes. it's making art for the purpose of like, I mean, at least for for like the films that like I'm interested in creating, it's like to 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 yes manipulate, but like to hopefully in some subtle way like change somebody's behavior, mm-hmm. um, to hopefully like you know the my whole the film itself is like it's about. It's about enlightenment. It's about this, like, security guard, like waking up to his own biases and behaviors to maybe, like, think about that and thinking about changing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think to me, like, that's like, you know, that's the that's the end goal. But like, there's this whole community that's coming together to like help help kind of invest in that art in the story um so yeah i don't know like i love i love it for the those reasons (laughs) we're all like mad we're all like magicians like (laughs) puppet mastering together (laughs) like you pull that string i'll pull this string and like (laughs) it's um, true and like isn't isn't this why we're on
2: strike right now because like without all of these like beautiful brains coming together to create this thing together and like that is what makes filmmaking different from other like is how many voices there are in the room like even with the 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 director who is like the most sort of uh for lack of a a better explanation controlling of every element there are still so many voices peeking in and creating something in a very subtle way um and to me it's like that's why we need all these voices in the room that's why we need to like protect that part of this industry but that's a whole other conversation but <laughs> no, anyway no. that's, no, no. that's irrelevant so relevant right now but,
0: but sarah yeah. I, you literally just jumped in r- right before i was going to say the same fucking thing like it's like <laughs> right now what's going on is there is this there is this deep like hidden dark fear that is running through our entire industry right now and everybody is concerned because mostly a lot of clickbait out there that's making them concerned for this. But it's like, is AI going to fucking ruin our, our industry? And that's a big part of the strikes. There's all sorts of other reasons why the strike should be happening, but that's a big part of it. And I was hanging out with some tech dudes uh, a few weeks ago and they were saying to me, like, isn't it exciting because I've been using some of the AI stuff for concept work and I've been doing a bunch of concept stuff, which is cool. Mm. And they go, isn't it exciting? Like you're going to hit a point point. Where you as a director won't need anybody. You won't need a crew. You won't need actors. You won't need anything. And you'll be able to make the mo- the best movie that you possibly can without any of that. And I go, obviously, you've never directed anything before. <laughs> because, <laughs> because at the at the end of the at the end of the day, if I had the ability to just do what I wrote down on this notepad in front of me, it'd be the flattest unrealistic bullshit simplistic idea and that would be all that I would feed into the AI is whatever I came up with which after directing now for over 20 years I now realize that whatever I write down that's a starting point that's a conversation point that's a series of questions that I'm then going to put out there to all these human beings that I love or that I admire that have lived their own lives that come from different places that have gone through different struggles that have had near-death experiences and each and every one of them is going to look at that thing i wrote down on the on that page and say i experienced something similar to that or i've seen something that works for this and then it's just my job at that point as the person that's running this fucking crazy train to sit there and look at the platters that are <laughs> showing up and going a bit of this is interesting that's fucking cool and this still fits in the, okay great 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 great, great. That's how good fucking movies are made. It's not just some auteur, even though I like the auteur theory, but it's not just some genius sitting in a fucking room going, uh, if I could only
3: have a device
0: that would just do everything I told it to do. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> uh, but dig I dig it. I dig it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, anyway, look, we should wrap this up. Uh, it has been a Pure pleasure talking with the both of you. Um, I'm very excited to see the stuff. And uh, I hope because you're going to be submitting to festivals, I am also submitting my new piece to festivals. Maybe we'll get in at the same time. And that'll be fun to be hanging out. Oh, we will.
2: That'll be fun (laughs) to hang out together. Love it.
0: All right. Well, uh, thank you both for being on the show.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: well there it is episode in the can thanks for listening and i'll tell you this man i was relieved uh when uh karina mentioned uh the language of cinema and i don't know karina maybe you listen to my other episodes and you're like this will make mike happy if I say that, or maybe, uh, you know, obviously I'm not the only person that says that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that there are young filmmakers out there that are considering that, that c- considering that language and understanding how visuals work because um, it's such an important element to visual storytelling. Um, and I think it's a very important that we talked, I'm happy that we talked about the tricks and the techniques that we use to build tone and to set tone because there's so many choices So many human-based choices based upon our lives and how we've lived our lives that make scenes, simple moments in movies better than they are. And if you've ever used any sort of AI stuff to create, um, you know, concept art, or if you're using AI stuff to have, you know, Kanye West sing an old Beatles song, you know, it just doesn't feel fresh, right? It's sometimes often fascinating because when you look at it you go this came out of nothing and these ones and zeros were mixed up to make this really great thing but that's the same sort of shimmer effect that people got when they first saw jurassic park and the visual effects in jurassic park there hit a point where everybody went i don't want things cgi anymore remember right cgi started to feel uh, overused started to feel unrelatable And that was because we were so hyper-focused on the tool, on the gimmick, and we sort of lost track of what truly connects an audience to things, what truly connects people to story, which is human experience. Right? That's why everybody's like, make it practical. Make it practical. So, uh, yeah. I hope you guys liked today's show, and uh, thank you, Fujifilm, for setting it up. Uh, I just really appreciate meeting all these young filmmakers and these great people and i hope that uh cheese Spa and my film come home are in the uh, festival circuit at the same time it'd be really fun to be screening with them and hanging out with them maybe we'll have some beers That'd be fun um but uh thanks everybody for listening lots of episodes in the can that i have to still edit and put up online so there's more stuff coming your boy stays busy um and as always you know the deal i'll see you next tuesday